Open your Bibles, if you will, to Jeremiah chapter 10. Scripture reading came from that this morning. I want to revisit that, as Brad accuses me of every time. He says, why do I read it? You're going to just read it again in the lesson. I said, well, you know. I want the, want the audience to be thinking about what we're going to be talking about. And it's okay to, to reemphasize things. I appreciate you all being here. Uh, it's good to be here on this first day of the week. Thank you to our visitors who've come our way. Appreciate you as well. I wanted to speak this morning about the work of the individual versus the work of the church. And the reason I come here to, to Jeremiah is there's something we need to, to understand right away. And that's what's said here in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23. It says, I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself. Nor is it in a man who walks to direct his own steps. When we look to be pleasing to God and to follow after what he says, we need to do exactly that. Follow after what he says. It's not within ourselves to direct our own steps, as Jeremiah the prophet reminds us here. I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself, nor is it a man who walks to direct his steps. It's not within us to know how to be pleasing to God without knowing what he tells us. And it's not within ourselves to direct our own steps. We need to look to him for the pattern, for the commands, for the examples that he's given us in order that we might be pleasing to him and might follow after God in righteousness as he asks us to do as his children. So when it comes to the work of the individual versus the work of the church, let's start by understanding that Scripture tells us these things. Scripture tells us what we should do as individuals. And Scripture tells us what we should do as the church, as the body, as the collective. And there's a distinction that's between these two. And it's important for us to understand because of the principles that we, that we are reading right here is that God is the one who decides, not man. So we want to understand fully about the work of individual, the work of the church. We've got to look to God's word and not rely on our own devisings, not direct our own steps. Let's start here. Let's start with the work of the individual. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, it says, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially those who are of the household of faith. So what does the work of the individual include? Well, it includes doing good to all people. New American Standard says all people. New King James, I think, still says to all men. We have a responsibility as individuals to do good to everyone. While we have opportunity, what does that mean? That means that while we are living on this earth, while we have breath in our bodies, while we have the opportunity before us, we are to do good to all men. And there's a qualification that's involved in this too, especially to those who are the household of faith. The good that we do, the priority is to the brethren among us, and other brethren in other places. That's our priority, but we still have to do good to all men. 
So how is it then that we go about doing that? We've, we've said there from Jeremiah that it's not in a man to direct, his, to direct his steps. So how do we go about doing it? Well, God tells us how do we do it. In 1 Timothy 3 and verse 16 and 17, that's uh, supposed to be 2 Timothy 3, uh, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So if we want to know how to do good to all people, we read God's word. All scripture is inspired by God. It tells us what things we need to do through teaching, through correction, reproof, training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be adequate or complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So if we want to know what those good works are that we are to engage in, from Galatians 6 and verse 10, we read God's word, particularly the New Testament, as we understand the law of Christ and what we are to do under the law of Christ to be pleasing to God. So let's talk about the work of the church. Understand that as we move into the work of the church, we're talking about the body. We're talking about the body of our Lord. We're talking about the collective, the congregation. Each local individual congregation has responsibilities as a body. And they basically fall into three categories. One of those being evangelism, that is preaching the gospel. The church has a responsibility to preach the gospel. That's what we're here doing today. We're listening to the gospel going out, hearing it. There's certain things that we do because of that. But the church has that responsibility. In 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 8, it says, For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. Paul here is telling those in Thessalonica, you're doing that. You're sounding forth the gospel, and word of it is getting around. The work of the church involves evangelism. It involves preaching the gospel. The work of the church also involves edification, building itself up. We come together on the first day of the week. We do those things that we've been ascribed to do, been told to do. Devin reminded of those, of those things with the taking of the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians 11, when Paul reminds them of those who'd gathered there in the upper room and when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. We come together and we edify one another in singing and, and praying and, and we gather around the table. We're edifying one another and the church, is, has, the church has a responsibility to build itself up in that way. In Ephesians 4 and verse 16, Paul says, For whom the whole body, the whole body, he's talking about the church here, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causing the growth of the body, or the building of itself, building up of itself in love. The church has that responsibility. We come together to build ourselves up. And lastly, the church has a responsibility of benevolence, of providing for its poor. The church does have a responsibility to provide for those who are needy. And this is what we want to focus in on for today's lesson 
is the work of the church in benevolence and the work of the individual in benevolence. And as we start this, let's understand some, some foundational things as we look back there in Jeremiah 10 and understand about it's not in a man to direct his steps. There's another very basic and very foundational thing that we need to understand, and that's when it comes to God's authority. It's important for us to understand not only that man is not within man to direct his own steps, but God has authority in all things. You've probably somewhere along the way heard, seen this, um, an acronym, acronym, is that the right word? CINI. And that stands for Command, Example, and Necessary Inference. When we look to God's Word and we want to understand about authority, we need to understand how God's authority is expressed through the Word of God. And this is how is it expressed, in a basic, as basic and as simple a way as we can understand. God expresses his will for man through command, through example, and through necessary inference. Now, you won't find that in Scripture. You know, First Traditions, chapter 3, you won't find that. This is what we can look through Scripture and understand that this is basic logic, that this is how God expresses what he wants his children to do. Another way of putting this in maybe a little bit more simple terms and in a way that we can understand is to think of it in this way, as tell, show, and imply. This follows exactly what we're talking about there is tell is a command, show as an example, and imply as an inference. Let's look at an example. Suppose as a father I tell my son, go to the grocery store and buy a, a gallon of whole milk. Park on the same side of the street we parked on last week and bring me the change from this $20 bill. Now, how many of his fathers didn't ever see that change from the $20 bill? I was accused of that quite a bit as a, as a son. I'll go ahead and tell you that. In this little, brief little example, we see command, example, and necessary inference. We see, tell, show, and imply. What is being told here? The son is being told to, to go to the grocery store and buy a gallon of whole milk. That's what's being told. That's the command. There's also example in this example. <laughs> what's the example? Park on the same, side of the same side of the street we parked on last week. That's an example. This is where we parked on this side of the street last week, so when you go this week, I want you to park on the same side. That, that's the example I want you to follow. You park on that side of the street. What's the necessary inference? What is being implied here? Several things, but one that really jumps out at, at us is, go to the store and buy a gallon of whole milk. What does that imply? We infer from that that we can't buy 2% milk, can't buy skim milk. We can also imply that, hey, I can buy Publix brand or I can buy, 
Uh, what other milk brands out there? Pet? I don't know. That's still around. I can buy whatever brand because my father didn't tell me what brand. He just specified the whole milk. So this command, example, necessary inference, it's in our everyday lives. And God uses the same way, uses the same logic in expressing his will for us through his word. Tell, show, imply. So let's go back to this um, subject of benevolence. And let's talk about each one of these things, command, example, and necessary inference, as it comes, as it applies to benevolence, both of the individual and of the church. We read that passage there from Galatians 6, verse 10. Let's also read verse 9. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially those who are of the household of faith. The command is easy to see in this. Let us do good to all people. Clear, specific, do good to all people. That's the command that's in this passage here. That's the tell part. God's word is telling us that we need to do good to all people, and especially those who are of the household of faith. So when we think about, when we think about doing uh, good to others and providing benevolence, we have a responsibility as individuals to provide benevolence to all. We think, look to the example of the Good Samaritan in our Lord's teaching about the one who showed the one there that was by the side of the road, he showed him mercy. He had the opportunity to do good to that person. That's what we have. That's what we're charged to do. As individuals, we have to do that. As we have opportunity, we do good to all men. Let's talk about examples when it comes to benevolence. And I want to look at some examples of the church in its benevolence. First one we'll look at here is in Acts chapter 2. This is at the, on the day of Pentecost when, Jesus, uh, when Peter has stood up and given that sermon and the, the souls have been baptized and the Lord added them to the church. Those who were believing, remember that? At the end there in verse 44, it says, And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. So let's look at the benevolence that's, that's taking place here in this example. They're sharing with all as anyone have need. Who is the all that's being mentioned there at the end of the verse? Well, we go back up to the previous verse. And it says, and all those who had believed. So the group of individuals that we're talking about here are the group of individuals who had believed, who had been baptized, who had been added to the church. These are the ones who, who are being talked about here. There's the ones that had uh, the possessions and they were selling them and they were bringing and as anyone had need, they were sharing amongst themselves. But the example is that, that these are believers that are sharing amongst themselves. A similar example over in chapter 4 of Acts. Verse 32 beginning says, And the congregation of those who have believed. So again, this is qualifying who we're talking about here. It's the congregation of those who have believed. 
uh, were of one heart and soul and were not and did not claim that anything belonging to them was his own, but all things were in common property to them. Very similar to what we read back over there in chapter 2. Great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Verse 34, for there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land and others' uh, houses would sell and bring their proceeds for the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet and would be distributed to each as any had need. Again, which each are we talking about? Which any needs are we talking about? We're talking about the congregation of those who had believed. So again, we're talking about sharing amongst believers. This leads into what happens there in chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. Remember that? They sold sold a piece of land. They held back some of the prophets. And that wasn't right. But these are the believers that are doing this amongst themselves. Let's look at another example in Acts chapter 11. Now this time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. This is the accounts here in Antioch, the church that was there. Some were coming down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would be a certain, certainly be a great famine all over the world. So there's going to be a great famine all over the world. Not just a regional thing, but all over the world there was going to be a famine. And this took place during the reign of Claudius, verse 29. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, seeing it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. So what do we see going on here? First of all, there's a, there's a great famine all over the world. So this famine is affecting everyone. But look at what the brethren are engaged in. Verse 29, the proportion of any disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution to who? For the relief of the brethren in Judea. So here we have believers, disciples, giving their money, and it's going to go by the way of of Barnabas and Saul, to the brethren who are in Judea. Not to all the world, but to the brethren who are in Judea. Another example of the church giving money, giving funds, giving needs to brethren who had needs. Another example from Romans chapter 15. Here's Paul speaking. But now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Here again is another example. What is Paul doing? He's serving the saints of Macedonia and Achaia. What's he doing? He's taking contribution to who? To the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Again, here's the example. Money being from saints, those belonging to the Lord's body, those of the church, being given to others of the body of the Lord, others in the church, the saints in Jerusalem. Here are the examples of church benevolence, not all of them, from Scripture. So what then can we imply from from this? What is it that... Um, we have a command about giving, about doing good to all men, especially those who have the household of faith. 
We have examples uh, of the church and what it must do as it, as it did in, in providing for these saints. So there are some things that we can imply from this. I'll ask you to turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Here in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul is instructing the young evangelist Timothy in certain things about his ministry and certain goings-on in the church that should be taking place. He's instructing this young man uh, so that he might teach others and then they might teach others as well. So here is uh, Paul preaching and teaching to the young evangelist Timothy. In chapter 5 here, he's telling, them, telling him about widows. If you're there in 1 Timothy chapter uh, 5, beginning verse 3, it says, Honor widows who are widows indeed. So in this very small little part of this passage, we see a qualification for the widows, and that is widows indeed. And he's going to go on to describe what that means. Verse 4, But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. He's starting to qualify what a widow indeed means. If a widow has children and grandchildren that can take care of her, then that's where that needs to come from. That's first. Verse 5, now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. That's a widow indeed. Now verse 6, beginning. A widow is to be put on the list only. So here we have an exclusion of some widows. And the list we're talking about here is the list of those who would be served by the church in their needs. What widows belong on that list that need to be served by the church? That's the list that Paul is talking about. If she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation of good works, and she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, these are qualifications for that widow indeed. Come down to verse 11. But refuse to put younger widows on the list. Here again, here's an exclusion. Younger widows. For they feel sensual desires in regard to Christ, they want to get married. If they're younger widows, they don't need to be put on the list. Paul is encouraging them to be remarried. Come down to verse 16. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them. And the church must not be burdened so that, it, so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. Here again we have another exclusion. If any woman is a believer has dependent widows, there's a woman in the congregation and she has a dependent widow, whatever that relationship to them might be, it's her duty to assist them. And the church must not be burdened so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. There's already defined what a widow indeed, who a widow indeed is. So if someone else has the means to support that widow, then they need to do that. And the church is not to be burdened. So what can we apply, uh, imply from putting these things together? 
Christians are to do good to all people. There's the command from Galatians 6 and verse 10. While we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. That's the command that we have. Individuals are being addressed in this passage. If we look there in the passage, let's understand this very important point. That this is individuals that are being spoken of. We go back up to verse 6 there in Galatians 6. It says, the one who is taught the word is to share in all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is neither mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh, flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows from the Spirit will be the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, verse 9, he says, Let us not lose heart in doing what is good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Yes, that is a plural pronoun. But the plural pronoun is referring to a group of individuals, a collective individuals, I should say. Collective individuals, because what he says up here is talking about a singular person. And what he says down here, so then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who are household of faith. That is a collective pronoun that's being used there because he's speaking about individuals. Individuals are being spoken of in this passage. Something else that we can imply, or we can infer, I should say. Limitations are placed on the benevolence of the church. The examples that we have read, there are limitations on the benevolence that the church can practice. It's limited to the other saints who are in need. And we have examples of that. The ones that we read there from Acts 2 and 4 and, and chapter 11 and from Romans chapter 15. Those are examples of the church practicing benevolence. And that's authoritative. We have command. We have examples. And thus we are inferring. It's even limited amongst the saints. Even benevolence that is being practiced is limited amongst the saints. What we read there in 1 Timothy 5, verse 16, that the church cannot be burdened. That there are widows are to be served by the church only if there are widows indeed. The church is not to be burdened otherwise. So let's make some application with this. If you'd like to turn there to, first, uh, to James chapter 1. <clears throat> James chapter 1, we have a passage here, beginning in verse 21. We won't read all of this, but it's up here for your reference. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. We'll come down and focus here on verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unspotted by the world. So if we look to this passage here and, and apply the command, example, and necessary inference, again, the command to do good to all men, this corresponds with that command. This agrees with the command to do good to all men. Visiting widows and orphans, that, that's included in all people. Individuals are being addressed in this passage. Again, let's make very clear, as James is writing this, he's writing to individuals. In this particular part of the passage here, individuals are being addressed. 
if anyone thinks himself to be religious, verse 26, and bridles his tongue. And look down to verse 27, to visit orphans and widows and keep, uh, keep oneself unstained by the world. It's clear that individuals are being addressed in this passage. Individuals have the responsibility to, uh, to visit these as well as to keep oneself unspotted by the world. As individuals, we have a responsibility to visit orphans and widows in their distress. But what about the church then? Using this same passage, how does this apply to the work of the church? Well, let's start with the command. It agrees with the command to do good to all men or to do good to all people. But by established example, and by established example, it is inferred that this is the work of the church only if they meet certain qualifications. We know that the, church, the work of the church is limited in its benevolence. It's only authorized if needy saints are, are widows indeed. So if those who are being addressed here are needy saints or widows indeed, then the church has a responsibility towards them, as we have read there from the examples. However, there is no command, example, or necessary inference that the church is authorized to establish, support, or maintain orphanages or widows' homes. What we have just laid out here, everything that we have talked about, there's no command, there's no example, there's no necessary inference that the church has this responsibility and way of widows' homes or orphanages. Individuals? Absolutely. We have a responsibility to them as individuals. The church does not. Only if they are needy saints and widows indeed, as Paul described to Timothy there in 1 Timothy 5. Let's look at another example from Matthew chapter 25. Again, we won't read all this because of time, but beginning there in verse uh, 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. This is Jesus talking about judgment, talking about the end times. What will happen? He's going to gather all nations together to himself, and he's going to make that division among them. The goats on his left hand and the sheep on his right hand. And then verse 34 then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared to you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Again, from command. This agrees with the command to do good to all men. As individuals. As individuals, we have these responsibilities to do these things to those who are in these kinds of needs. Individuals are being addressed in this passage. Again, it's very important to understand that our Lord is addressing individuals. How do we know that? Because individuals have the responsibility to feed, to clothe, and to house, and individuals will be judged, not the church. 
Jesus is telling us a scene here about judgment. The church is not going to stand in judgment before God. We as individuals are going to stand in judgment before God. And we're going to have to give an account for the things that we have done. Are we following the command to do good to all people? Let's make this application then to the church. Same passage there from Matthew chapter 25. It agrees with the command to do good to all people, to do good to all men. Absolutely, that's the command. As individuals, we have that responsibility. By established example, it is inferred that this is the work of the church only when they are needy saints. We have the examples that we read there in the book of Acts and the book of Romans. However, again, the church will not be judged. Individuals will be judged by the things that they have done. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 12, so then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. The responsibility to do good to all men is, is important and it's serious. And we're going to be judged by what we do. But the work of the church is limited in what it does. One last thing that we'll consider. What the church ought to do. So if we use the passage there from James chapter 1 and verse 27 about visiting widows and orphanages and orphans in their distress, then can we come to the conclusion that we should have the church should establish, maintain, or support orphanage, an orphanage or a widow's home? Through what we have discussed, the answer is no. That's not the work of the church. Now, if there's orphans and widows indeed, then the church has a responsibility to them. So using this same logic and what we just read there from, from Matthew chapter 25 about being hungry and thirsty and a stranger, and you clothed me when I was naked and you visited me when I was sick and visited the prisoners, can we then say that if, if someone is, is hungry and thirsty, then the church ought to have a soup kitchen to feed those? If someone is a stranger and they need some place to stay, then the church needs to have a hotel to be able to put them up. If they are naked and the church is, has a responsibility to clothe them, then we should have a clothing store. Or if they're sick, then the church should run a hospital. Or if they're prisoners, then the church should be uh, involved in supporting a jail. You see how this doesn't work because there's a, there's a question here. First of all, let's understand that none of these is an authorized work of the church. Just as a clothing store is not an authorized work of the church, neither is an orphanage, or neither is a widow's home, or neither is a hotel, or a hospital. And if they were, if these work uh, by command, by example, by necessary inference, a work of the church, which one of these should we be engaged in? Should we not be engaged in all of them? If, if the logic holds that we need to be doing these things as the work of the church, which one of these are we doing here at Cortez? Do we have a hotel? Do we have a soup kitchen? Do we have a widow's home? 
We don't have any of these because we're not authorized to have any of these. If these were required of the church, how can the church not be doing these? Do we get to pick and choose which one of these we are going to do? That again comes back to understanding that it's not within a man to direct his own steps. We rely on God and his wisdom to do that. And he has told us very plainly what we need to be doing as individuals and as the church. Because if we think we can pick and choose, let's remember what James says over in the next chapter in James, in chapter 2, beginning of verse 8. It says, If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to scripture, scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. So if you're loving your neighbor as yourself, if you're providing for those who have need, then you're doing well. Following the example of the Good Samaritan, when you come in contact with those who have need, you're doing well. Verse 9, But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law of transgressors. So if you're picking and choosing who you're showing your mercy to, who you're loving as your neighbor, you're not practicing righteousness. Verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. Verse 11, for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder. Now if you do not commit adultery but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. We don't get to pick and choose which parts of God's law we're going to follow after. We have to keep the whole law. That is the law of Christ that we live under. Verse 12, so speak and so act as those who will be judged by the law of liberty, for judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So in all of this, James is reminding them, show mercy. Show mercy to the ones who need to be shown mercy too. The ones we come in contact with, our neighbor. That's who we have the responsibility to, to all people, as Paul says there in Galatians 6. And we need to be practicing that. There's work to be done. Let's not lose ourselves in all of this and, and think, well, I'm, I'm just not going to do anything. Because there's work to be done. There's plenty of work to go around. In John 4 and verse 35, Jesus says, Do not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look out at the fields that they are white for the harvest. There's plenty of work to be done. There's no need to get bogged down in uh, wrangling over where the line is drawn between individuals in the church. That line has been drawn. It's in God's word. But understand that there's plenty of work to be done. There's work to be done as the church. There's work to be done as individuals. Plenty of work to be done. Individuals have their responsibility and the church has hers. I hope this has been encouraging to you in this way. I hope that we further appreciate God's word and his authority and the completeness of God's word. He's given us all things that pertain to, to, pertain to life and godliness. From 2 Timothy 3, we read there verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. He's given us all that. 
It's not within ourselves to go beyond it or to fall short of it. But to meet God's commands as he has given them to us. If you're not a child of God, I encourage you to become one. We enjoy so many blessings in the, in the kingdom. If you've not surrendered to our Lord in baptism, I would, would pray and hope that you would. And if as a child of God you've stumbled, you're not making your way as God would have you as his child, I encourage you to make that right as well. If you need the prayers of the congregation, you can let that be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.